Welcome to the Get Out In It podcast, keeping our mental and physical well-being balanced by heading out into nature and doing stuff. The activity isn't important. Walk, run, hike, bike, whatever it is, just find something you enjoy and get out in it. The point of this podcast is to show how ordinary people can achieve extraordinary levels of health and fitness. Out here, we'll share informal, inclusive advice for anyone trying to improve their mental and physical well-being, based on our own experiences and professional knowledge from our special guests. So let's lace up and get out in it. And here we are. Welcome to episode 17. And what a week it has been. How are you, Maria Herring? Can you believe it was 17 weeks ago we started this podcast? Shut the front door. 17 weeks. Yeah, this is episode 17. So 17 weeks, therefore, have gone by. Not bad. Not bad going. How are you? I'm all right, actually. Um... Guess what? Uh, I don't know. So we're doing a podcast live in the same room, live together, recorded. It's really quite pleasant. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be, but it is. But it is. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a diva. I've got my list of, uh, got my list of things I need. I need some cold drinks. I need some fizzy drinks. I need some nice warm slippers. I need a scarf. I need a blanket. Um, I need snacks. Got a lot of contractual things. List on my contract, yeah. But apart from that, it's good for you. I hooked you up. I hooked you up. Yeah. So as always, what have you done this week to get out in it? Got out in it. <laughs> well, this week, um, I am continuing with my 10k challenge actually the uh, the theme of today's pod is going to be crazy challenges although <laughs> the challenge i'm currently doing is orders of magnitude smaller than the challenge that we're about to uh, that, that we're about to learn and talk about but yeah so every t- every single day i've been getting at it by doing my 10k day 10k a day challenge i there was a day i didn't do it it was a day I was on trains all day. Um, I can't remember what day it was. Monday. Monday. I think Monday, yeah. Monday, I spent catching four trains um, to cross two countries. So I didn't run that day. But the following day, I did 15Ks instead of 10K. So yeah, I've been running fuck tons. It's been wicked. What about you? Yeah, my. I mean, I've been, well. Oh, yeah, you've been with me on bikes and shit. Yeah. I've been, I'm still doing my rehab. I'm still doing my rehab. It's going, I'm going up through the gears. I managed to run 5k the other day without stopping, which was nice. The uh, discomfort is still there, but it's getting less. I'm still doing the weight training. Um, but with the added benefit this week of whenever I'm not running and you are, because you're running every day, I'm joining you on the bikes for a very sedate, very gentle bit of cross training, which is doing my hip the world of good, I have to say love that for you and I also love it for me because it's quite nice I've done two I did two weeks almost two weeks of this challenge on my own um running the same route in Mamont's the 5k trail 5k road and actually this week I've really enjoyed having you on the bike just in front of me um to kind of keep keep me running forward it's been it's been really really nice actually and also all of the different routes and the Devon countryside and uh the much lower temperatures. Devon is beautiful. It's fucking gorgeous. It really is. But anyway, before we get too in-depth into our own training this week, we have got one of the most interesting interviews I think I've done for this podcast so far. Um, 
So I think we should probably get on with that, shouldn't we? We definitely should. Oh my God. What an awesome conversation this is going to be. I'm so excited for this very specific hike in a chat. <gasps> Let's get on with it. Getting into it. <laughs> so this week, we are lucky to be joined by Jamie Arons, a Californian who moved to Scotland in 2005. Jamie is a trail runner, mountain biker, kayaker, and lover of the right to roam. She and her partner, Andy, can often be found in the local hills, adventuring with their two dogs, Pirate and Hope. Jamie works as a social work advisor with the Scottish government. In 2023, beginning on the 26th of May, Jamie climbed all 282 Munros while cycling, kayaking, running and walking between them. The route equated to around 1,500 kilometres of both running and cycling, 3,000 kilometres total with approximately 140,000 metres of ascent. This is the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest 16 times. Jamie, great to have you along. How's things? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's um, it's funny to hear the stats back again. I think those were my estimated stats, um, and I, I'm delighted to report that it didn't come to quite as many kilometers as that, um, but uh, not far off. So, so, do you have the actual stats to hand? Not to hand. Um, they are on my website. I think um, we can certainly get them to you. They're not far off that, but uh, and some of it is slightly I shouldn't say an estimate but um some of the sections that I thought were going to be cycling turned out because of the terrain or various other reasons maybe taking my bike for a hike um uh. taking my bike for a walk or there were a few sections that I thought were going to be hiking and indeed um we realized um kind of at the time that there were maybe a, a kilometer or two that were cyclable so um very quick logistics on the scene um, that enabled someone to bring a bike to me to let me cycle when I thought I was going to be walking. Um, so some minor tweaks here and there. Um, and uh, yeah, but it, it still was the equivalent of approximately 16 Mount Everest's over the course of 31 days. Which is insane cool. That's insane cool. <laughs> How long did, I've, I've got to ask one question first before we get into the details, which you ask every guest is what have you done this week to get out in it? This week. Uh, so um, my background is originally as a swimmer, actually. So I grew up as a competitive swimmer in California. Hadn't been swimming for years and years and years. Um, and uh, this week I decided I was going to get back to my swimming roots a bit. And um, I joined a friend to swim the length of Oldswater uh, this oh, week. Saturday. That's it was very cool and I'm particularly proud of myself because it was the first time I had done any open water swimming in about seven years um, and last week was the first time I'd been swimming again even in a pool in about six years so I did two pool swims just to prove to myself that I could cover a little bit of distance in the pool and then my first open water swim in seven years was to swim the length of Oldswater last weekend so um, that's what I've done this week to get out in it and I think that was a, a fairly um yeah, fairly big outing, which is great. But what's what's the length of that? My watch said that it was just over 13 kilometers. The route oh my we... good lord. Yeah, that might be one of the heftiest answers we've had so far, to be honest. <laughs> people have, we, I mean, we've had people that have done pros that have done half Ironmans, but swimming 13 kilometers is a that's a big shift. How how long did that take you just out of interest? It's about four and a half hours. Good grief. 
<laughs> I love that you hadn't swum for years either. Two pool <laughs> swims, then straight back at it. It doesn't go away. My background is also swimming. I don't swim anymore because I cannot deal with up and down the pool anymore. But yeah. a 13K open water swim, that sounds like I, could, I would be interested in that. It was a good way to get back out into it. Um, I was very fortunate. I've actually um, discovered a pair of waterproof headphones, kind of MP3 player kind of oh, thing. Yeah, so yeah. I spent my four and a half hours listening to music and podcasts that another friend had um, had loaded this set of headphones for me in advance of the Monroe's. And in fact, I never used them. Um, so I had a fully loaded podcast and music ready uh, set of headphones to use for my swim. So um, it wasn't four and a half hours in my own headspace completely. I was actually kind of enjoying my tunes, enjoying the scenery. And um, once crossed the lake, uh, had quite a decent um, tailwind as well. So, yeah, wasn't all bad. I stay good, out. Good work. Love it. Love it. Now, we've got we've got so many questions about the Monroe challenge that you did and the 282 Monroes that you covered. But the first thing I think in order to set the scene is what led up to deciding to do that? What triggered that, that desire? I suppose I've always been attracted to challenges that I'm, or to, um, to outings that I'm not sure I can achieve. I think I'm very attracted to the sort of, I might be able to do something idea, but I'm not sure that I can. And it's that sort of gray space between, you know, it's definitely achievable to it's definitely out of my league. And, and that sort of space in between is where I'm very, very attracted. So I suppose the, the Monroe's, like Maria, I love being outside and um, kind of any opportunity to, be participating in outdoor activities is where you'll find me. Um, in terms of the Monroes, since I moved to Scotland in 2005, I had done two Monroe rounds prior to the, the recent challenge. So um, my partner Andy and I had undertaken one round, uh, which we did with relative spontaneity uh, in a year without taking, well, with only taking one day of vacation time off work. So it was some very intense weekends um, as you can imagine and then we subsequently adopted two dogs from Spain uh, and I decided that I was going to chaperone them around another Monroe round um, so did another round so I was familiar with the, the Monroes in general and then I suppose what actually kind of triggered then my interest in doing them at pace uh or even pacier than the the previous two rounds um was hearing the previous record holder donny campbell speak about his rounds and i found him incredibly inspirational and uh, and still do and i suppose hearing him talk about his round and, and his challenge and his record just planted this seed and i realized months after kind of hearing him for the first time that i was still thinking about maybe maybe I could do something like that, not necessarily the record, but maybe I could have a go at doing it continuously and that self-propelled piece. Um, and it was the fact that I couldn't shake that seed. Um, and I was very attracted to it because it just sounded um, possible, but not certain. And that was very attractive. So when I couldn't shake the idea months later, uh, I mentioned it to a, a couple of friends and the rest was a slippery slope toward what eventually became the challenge in May. 
for our, our non-Scottish listeners out there, what are the Munros? Excellent question. So Munros are a classification of hill in Scotland. Um, so named by Sir Hugh Monroe in the 1800s. Um, they are hills in Scotland above 3,000 feet. Uh, there's other kind of criteria to be a Monroe, including the kind of distance between them and the um, ascent and descent between them to kind of separate what one Monroe is from another. But really, it's the the list that Sir Monroe um, designated many moons ago. And so once you decided to do this, that point where you you couldn't get the idea out of your head, you make mm -hmm. that decision to to go ahead and do this. Was there an increased level in your training that was required or were you already at a fairly fit level and you just carried on going as you were, but you started planning the adventure around and thinking about time and time off work and what you were going to have, the logistics of it? The logistics were a huge portion of the two years, basically, between deciding that I was going to give it a bash and actually doing it. So that and it was almost exactly two years um, between those points, logistics. And the preparation were massive. Can't understate. There was the route planning. So our kind of route that we devised was quite different to the one that Donnie, well, similar, but had multiple differences uh, to the route that, that Donnie had done before, which was different again to the, the person who um, had held the record before him. So lots around the planning that was taking a ton of my brain space and a ton of my actual time while also holding down a full-time job, as you said, as a, a social work advisor in Scottish government. So because of that, for the first time ever, I decided to um, use the, the skills and expertise of a, a coach. So I'd never had a coach for all the ultra runs or, or anything I had done before. Had had a coach swimming growing up, but you know that was only through my teens. Um, so decided that I, I needed to kind of outsource the training um, decisions, I guess, to enable me to have just as much headspace as I could for the actual planning and logistics. So um, I was incredibly fortunate that Paul Tierney, um, from Missing Link Coaching, agreed to, to support me and, and work with me. And really it was down to him and just making a training program that was incredibly consistent. And I suppose that was it. It wasn't that I upped the training. And if anything, actually, Paul probably reined me in from what I might have done on my own. Not so much about the running, but probably about the, the number of miles and number of meters of ascent and descent that I probably would have done had I been designing it on my own. Um, so it was a lot about multi-sport training since the mm. round was both cycling and hiking and running um, had, you know, a, a mix of various activities throughout that two years to not necessarily, I suppose for me, the goal for that training. And, and luckily, you know, this was what Paul was incredibly good at doing and supporting me to do was not to become the fastest runner or the fastest cyclist, but to try and make me as robust as possible so that I just needed to be able to sustain a relatively moderate pace for a month. Um, although I thought it was going to take me longer than it did. I think the the goal was to make me as unbreakable as possible. And that wasn't about speed. That was about robustness and strength and a bit of strength training in there there was a bit of strength training and strength conditioning training. yep yep okay. it was um yeah I suppose trying to to get on top of any kind of 
niggles um really good for for things like that in that respect i think the training being multi-sport as it was kept me from injury as well because if i did have a niggle from running i could cycle if i had a niggle from cycling i could run um paddling a little bit although the paddling and the challenge was only 11 kilometers um and i, I have been kayaking for quite a long time so it didn't really put much in the way of training for the sea kayak sections um but yeah, it was conditioning. And I suppose the benefit that I found, I think, from having a coach as well was about the, the psychological element of it. I think for me, there was a challenge in letting go of control of my training. And as I said, outsourcing that and just trusting in the process. So, so I've known Paul. basically helped yeah. you take the decision fatigue off you so you could yeah. focus your energy on the logistics and the planning of the event itself. That's an excellent way of wording it. Yeah. And also I think because I trust Paul, um, it meant that he also helped in terms of reminding me that it wasn't just about that two years or that 18 months of training, that actually it was my swimming when I was 12. It was my hiking when I was 18. It was my mountaineering when I was in my 20s. All of those things led to the Monroe challenge so it wasn't that this 18 months was the end all and be all and if that wasn't perfect that's it you know my life was ruined um it was helping remind me that actually I got to this point of choosing such an epic challenge because of all those years of kind of sport and activity that got me to that point he was really good for that sounds like an amazing coach um so you had two years of training and planning before you before you embarked upon this outrageous adventure. At any point during those two years, did you think, oh, I just, I don't wanna? Or were you constantly, the whole the whole two years, were you like, this, this is it, I'm so excited? I'd say for the first six months of that two years, I kept things very quiet and there were only a handful of my closest friends, including my friend Jenny, who essentially became my project manager, um, who knew what I was thinking about. During that time, I wouldn't say I, I had doubts about trying it, but I certainly had some significant doubts about, you know, whether or not I was capable of it. I was really kind of, there was a lot of self-doubt in there. Um, however, after about six months, we kind of needed to take the decision that, A, if I was going to be um, gathering fundraising, and so I was doing it for charity, mm. I was going to need to put myself out there in the public. And also the approach that I took was one that included a whole community of supporters and to, I suppose, gather that, collect all those, um, all those supporters, I needed to put myself out there. So once it was out in the public, then there to me was no turning back. So mm. I had, I was accountable to friends to strangers to my family and that definitely put the marker in the sand that I was doing it yeah because you mentioned um the charity um tell us a little about a little bit about the charity that you chose so I was raising money for world bicycle relief mm -hmm. um I genuinely lost sleep over which charity to fundraise for there are thousands of worthy causes out there and I really struggled to narrow down um, which to to finally choose and in the end I selected World Bicycle Relief because I really liked I liked the idea of having a charity that had some degree of 
alignment with the challenge. So in terms of, you know, the cycling element of it. Um, so I quite liked that, that there was um, that sort of link to, to bicycles and all the biking that I was doing for the challenge. I also really like their ethos, um, the idea of empowering people through the use of bicycles to enable people to access healthcare, to access employment and education. I just think that you know, it's become a bit of a cliche, especially, you know, in, in Glasgow recently with the, in, across Scotland with the World Cycling Championships, but the power of the bike and the power that, you know, the donation of a bicycle can have for people um, in developing countries. I just loved that idea. And I, I quite liked the preventative nature of the charity. So I think as a social worker, I spend a lot of time reacting to crises, reacting to um, you know bad things that have happened, and it, it was quite nice to to be working with a charity and fundraising for something that is empowering people from the very start. And um, yeah, it was quite nice. So all of those things. What was the total raise in the end? So it's still going up. Um, I'm delighted to say. So I've just extended the. Uh, um, closing date of the fundraising page. I think with gift aid at the moment, we are around about £27,000, which is super exciting. Yeah. So me who loves an ambitious goal and um, always thinks silly ideas are good ideas. Uh, <laughs> I think our new goal should be to uh, fundraise so that there's a bicycle purchased for every Monroe. So the purchase the purchase of one of these Buffalo bicycles is 120 pounds. So if we could raise 282 Monroes by 120 pounds, whatever that total is, 30 some thousand pounds. Um, I just think that would be awesome. So that's the new ambitious goal. Not Amazing. That. We will of course put the, put the link to your fundraising page mm -hmm. in our show notes when the show comes out. Awesome. So you've decided to do this challenge. You've had two years of training and build up and logistics planning. What does it feel like? on that first morning when you're about to set off is there a moment of enormity or is it just well this is business time I, I'm, I'm trained for this and I'm excited for this and off we go it was really surreal um, my brother uh, had come over from Washington DC to join me for the first few days of the challenge so uh, we started the round on Mull so there's one Monroe um, on the island of Mull started there with one of my best friends my brother another friend um, a couple of camera crew. It, it was just surreal to have spent all of this time building up to that moment. So some of it was just about reminding myself that I, I needn't get carried away on the first hour of <laughs> a month of activity. So um, it was it was great to get going um, and just be out there with friends and my brother and Mull is beautiful. We had an awesome cycle off the hill um, and then kayaked across the sound of Mull to the Amazing. mainland. I bet yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. And the first day, I think as a triathlete, you would both really like um, the first day, I think was really um, exemplified the challenge in that it included every single activity that I went on to do across the month. So yeah. It started with a hike, then a road bike to the Sand of Mall, then a paddle across, then another quite lengthy, the biggest bike uh, bike of the day, I'm sorry, of the whole challenge was that day, which was about 95 kilometers um, from kind of the crossing to Glen Finnan. Um, then another hike, then a mountain bike, then another road bike. So we got everything in that first day, um, which also was, was quite cool. 
that's cool Test it's like it like a like a mini synopsis of the whole challenge on day <laughs> one exactly. Oh, exactly brilliant and to give people an idea of you know what your day-to-day was like is there a sort of an average time per day you were spending doing something how long were your sleeps for example my sleeps turned out to be significantly less than I had originally expected. So some of my inspiration, I suppose, that I mentioned when I heard Donnie interviewed in podcasts um, initially was when he had been asked about his recovery each night um, when he was doing the rounds. And he was incredibly good about maximizing his recovery. He's much faster on the move than I am. Uh, So he had said that he averaged, he thought, eight hours of sleep every night during his challenge. And I remember hearing him and thinking, I can't remember the last time I got eight hours of sleep. (laughs) So surely I know I move slower. So if maybe I got six hours of sleep a night, then, you know, maybe I can kind of try and replicate what he's done. Um, And part of my route planning was also, I took out when I was looking at maps, with Jenny in particular, and with my friend Joe, who helps with the mapping and, and a number of others, we looked at the map, taking the idea of road crossings out of it. So taking the notion out that I was gonna always sleep in a van or indoors in any kind of capacity, and just thought, what is the most efficient route we can come up with across all of these 282 hills? And if that means I need to bivy, I need to camp, I need to, you know, whatever, so be it. But actually, we just want to start with the most efficient route. So what that meant when it came to it was that my sleep was not necessarily consistently in the van by any means. Um, And unfortunately, because of a number of factors, my aspirational six hours of sleep a night, which I always already had thought was going to be too little, um, turned out to be significantly more than I got. So I think I probably averaged over the course of the whole month, I probably averaged about four hours a night. Um, That's probably, that could be an overestimate. Um, That said, so at the beginning, I was probably getting around five, five and a half. And then I don't know if folks will remember, but late May through the sort of first two weeks of June, of 2023 was some of the hottest temperatures. It that was Scotland so hot, wasn't it? <laughs> Good Lord. As a Californian, I never thought the heat of Scotland was going to be the thing that um, <laughs> caused me the most problems. Um, but it meant that we were, we were running out of water. Burns were dry that would normally have had water for us to top up. It was definitely making me move more slowly because it was just, it was unbearably hot. Um, so I tried doing what turned out to be not so clever things, which was maybe sleeping a bit during the day and trying to move more overnight when it was cooler. But actually, while the temperatures were incredibly hot during the day, it was becoming quite misty and claggy overnight, which probably a lot of people wouldn't have known because sensible people would have been in their beds. Um, (laughs) So our pace really slowed at night because the visibility was poor and things like that. So I did kind of chop and change how I was trying to um, to manage my sleep and to still be as efficient as I could be without, you know, completely breaking myself within that first week or two. Um, and some of my approach to that flexibility, I guess, was sleeping, was knowing that I sleep really well in a bivy bag. I sleep really well in a tent. 
And I was incredibly fortunate to have this army of support friends, new friends of old and friends new, um, who were willing to help me carry stuff as well. Or we had people who um, part of the logistics planning was looking at places where someone could cycle in or kayak in or bring camping gear to us or to me so that we weren't having to carry quite such heavy loads for long periods of time. So all of that was part of the logistics planning um, of that two years was identifying those places where I might be able to get some sleep in what felt like luxury if it was a tent. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have to just sleeping on the ground. Wow. And so a lot of people listening to this, they won't really have an understanding or they will never have done a multi-day event where you sort of have to get into a groove. The longest I've done, I think I did a cycle ride for 10 days once. And you do get into a, you do get into a groove day in, day out. Mm-hmm. How was you, how quickly did you adapt to that groove? And were there, were there some dark days? Were there some really positive days? And how did you, how did you deal with that as the athlete doing the challenge? I think the getting into the groove thing for me was that, and what I really appreciate probably now more than ever about the multi-sport nature of the Monroe challenge. And it's similar to adventure races and things that I've done. It was almost like starting each activity was a fresh start. So even if things had been grim as grim could be on a hike or something, you can kind of check that at the door, change your shoes, have a snack. And actually you get on that bike or you get in that boat um, and it's a, a new start. And I think, psychologically I'm probably quite good at compartmentalizing those things so actually when things had been incredibly grim um you know you still just put one foot in front of the other knowing that things will get better and I suppose that sort of mentality is one that didn't come to me overnight that has been years in the making of lots of multi-day activities and and ultra runs and multi-sport adventure races and um it's having that confidence to know that things will improve and you don't know when and you don't know how and you don't know what's going to trigger something to improve but you know from experience that it will and it's just having the patience to keep going knowing that it's going to happen eventually you just need to power through and be resilient and keep going until whatever it is changes, someone hands you the right snack, someone tells you the right joke, you get the right song in your head that enables you to kind of snap out of that really low point. Um, I don't think I could say that there were whole days that were good or whole days that were bad. I think things changed for me sometimes on a minute by minute basis. Things changed on an hour by hour basis. Um, And yeah, I suppose... Some of the hardest points for me, I think, are always where um, something contradicts my expectations. So Mm -hmm. there were a lot of points where I expected the terrain to be crappy. I expected a bike ride to be really hard work. And when those expectations were met, that was okay. I expected Mm -hmm. it to be rubbish. I expected it to be really painful, really hard, whatever. The points at which I found I psychologically struggled the most were where I had completely underestimated or hadn't even considered how rubbish something was going to be. Um, That happened most frequently when it came to a couple of the descents off of some of the Monroes, uh, where on paper, maybe on the map, 
a relatively gentle angle for a descent, nothing on the map to suggest that it was going to be horrific. And indeed, in the cold light of day or indeed in the clag of darkness, um, you know, it was tussock bashing and bracken above my head and midges were horrendous and all of those things um, as potential variables. In those moments, did you feel like you were losing time? Because you oh, hadn't yeah. tracked it in the hard, Absolutely. yeah. So it was, it was like, I, I'm, I'm wasting time that I'd considered that I'd be moving faster than this. Absolutely. So when I was working out my kind of rough schedule, and it was very, very rough. I mean, I don't smoke, but it kind of was practically on the back of a fag packet kind of rough schedule. <laughs> um, I used. Um, I had a, you know, I, I used something called Naismith's formula, which is kind of a. a fairly commonly used, very rough um, uh, idea of how quickly you'd move while hiking. So it equates to moving four kilometers per hour plus 600 meters per hour of ascent. Um, so I'd kind of roughly worked out based on my routes, what 4K per hour and 600 meters of ascent per hour would do. What I hadn't factored, and this gets to your point, James, is the number of descents during which I was going significantly slower than the ascents um, because of the terrain and and then later because of a, a injury to my foot. Um, so having not factored in how painfully slowly I would be going down some of the hills, that did really feel like I was hemorrhaging time and that was mentally really tough. And when, um, how were you holding up over time physically? did your did your did your body hold up okay where did it hurt how did it hurt with a surprise bit so you were like oh I wasn't expecting that bit of me to be in pain you know <laughs> absolutely so I was <laughs> shocked and quite alarmed that day one my knee started to hurt and um, I had a little bit of a panic that here I was literally day one and I had a sore knee and um, that was quite anxiety provoking, as you can imagine. Um, I suspect it was because it was the most cycling. As I said, that day was nearly a hundred miles of cycling plus four or five Monroe's, I think. Um, loads of height, you know, it was a lot of cycling and I probably just wasn't conditioned for all of that. My knee got sore and I panicked. Um, luckily I taped it up and that pain went away the next day as randomly as it had started. So that was quite fortunate. The body's good for that sometimes. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit of panic pain, just to yeah. just to make you worry at the start. <laughs> remind, you, remind you you're alive. Remind yeah. you that you've taken on something silly. Um, <laughs> I was very fortunate that a number of people who were helping me are physiotherapists. So mm. there were a few times where I got niggles, first in my hamstring and then later in the tendon that runs sort of, that sort of connects your your foot to your shin, I guess. I don't know what that tendon is called, but just I think you can get a bit of inflammation from descending um, too much or too much too quickly without the right conditioning, probably in my case. And I was very fortunate that when those niggles occurred, I had physios either at the end of a phone for Andy to explain to me how to tape it up or indeed actually on the hill with me. So I, I was receiving incredibly good physiotherapy service um on the spot which was great so any niggles were dealt with um the thing that did inevitably catch me out and i think over the course of a month um you know it is inevitable that something is gonna something's gonna fall apart it was just a, a kind of unknown of what that was going to be um i 
ended up having an incredibly sore foot. Um, and I had what turned out to be two external uh, infected blisters, um, oh. which were large and nasty. Um, so those were pretty horrid. And then internally, which was worse, actually, um, I was having pain in the same foot, quite deep um, kind of nerve pain. And what we think since I'm nearly two months since I finished in in retrospect and kind of with some further medical analysis or assessment since I finished is that what I might have had was a very deeply uh, rooted internal blister. I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds horrible. That's Who knew that was even a thing? That they exist, but they don't, they don't um, sound fun. Yeah, no. Um, so they think I had maybe an internal blister, which also was infected and was also pressing on nerves inside basically the ball of my foot. So every step on my left foot was agony and definitely impacted my pace for the last week, especially. So I'd spent sort of three and a half weeks being quite conservative, quite risk averse, especially on the descents. Um, it would have been so easy to trip and sprain an ankle or fall and break my face or um, <laughs> so, or just overdo it, hammering it down a hill or pushing the pace too much for my kind of physical fitness to, to cope with. So I'd been reasonably kind of, yeah, level in my approach and my, um, and I was quite risk averse thinking in that last week, I would push it. I'd lay it all out on the line, all those things you do as an athlete that you think you're going to do that sprint finish, so to speak. And when it came to it, my foot was in so much pain. I, there was, I was not sprinting anywhere. I was dragging my left leg behind me. So. I never, I want to live the rest of my life without an internal blister, if that's okay. <laughs> But we shall aspire to <laughs> So let's quickly flip it from these really dark and a little bit gruesome things. What about some of your the the, the highest points? What were some of the the most um the the best memories that you've come back with? Oh, there's so many. Um absolutely so many. So some of my highest points were actually the sea kayaking, which suggests that I perhaps chose the wrong challenge since that was only eleven of like 2,800 kilometers, but um, <laughs> the stillness, the being away from midges, um, mm. I just love sea kayaking. So those were definitely high points. Um, I think just being surrounded by like-minded people, I think I kept getting these moments of, I'd get quite teary and it was just looking around me and, um, you know, seeing that there were strangers who had come out of the woodwork, friends who had, you know, managed to abandon their families for days at a time to come and help me, who were in these, you know, midgy infested, heather bashing, tick ridden, you know, to help me achieve this, you know, single-minded, quite selfish goal. And um, I think I tried to be quite mindful, I guess, of how lucky I was and how the you know, the choice was mine to be in those situations and the fact that people had come out to help me and keep me company. And we had a laugh and we sang songs and we listened to music and we saw amazing sunrises. Amazing. I bet you did. Yeah, I bet you did. Rainbows, Brock inspectors. I saw something called sun, a sun dog. I'd never seen before. What is a sun dog? Sounds like yoga. Yeah. (laughs) Like a yoga position. (laughs) Uh, another one of those meteorological phenomena 
Um, so I think, you know, as challenging as it was to be on the move for an average of 18, 19 hours a day, how lucky was I that that meant that I was outside for temperature inversions at four in the morning, that I was seeing sunrises and red moons and, you know, things that people would spend their lifetimes either never seeing or, you know, I had once in a lifetime moments every day for a month. And yeah. That's amazing. That is so cool. It's so nice. And I also, I listen to quite a lot of podcasts, funnily enough. And I've listened to so many people who've done these, who've done their own version of, of a challenge, crazy challenges. And everybody has always said that people come and join in, like str- people they know, but also strangers. It seems to be quite a common theme. We set ourselves these, these outrageous adventures and challenges to do. And then people just come and join us. What do you why do we do that, do you think? What is that about us and humans who, wh- why? Why are we all doing this? Why are we coming together to help you achieve something mental? <laughs> Such a good question. I think we could probably have a whole um, whole podcast devoted just to that. I think there's certainly something in my experience of the Scottish ultra running community that is, and the Scottish outdoor activity community more broadly, that is incredibly supportive of helping people attain their goals. And that's not to say that people aren't competitive, because I think that they are. But I think for me, personally, I've always been incredibly competitive with myself. And actually, it's interesting reflecting on having been a swimmer, because actually, I was always racing a clock, it happened to be people next to me in lanes or but actually, I was racing my own PBs, my own personal bests. Mm. Um, And I think, with what I was doing and these other crazy challenges, as you say, I think there's something just really, I mean, people say that they were inspired, which is really lovely of them to say, but I think there's just something about an opportunity and people recognize that it was a good opportunity to to be supporting someone to achieve their goal while doing something that they also love um, and maybe you know wouldn't necessarily take on the whole Monroe round self-propelled themselves, but that they could have a, a piece of that um, yeah. I was there for a few days or I was there yeah. for a week or I went and supported yeah. for a day or an afternoon. Yeah. Just kind of basking in that reflected glow, maybe. Maybe. And I think what we did as well, which I'm really proud of, is that it was a very inclusive kind of community in that people played to their strengths. So there were quite a few people who came forward who said, I really want to be involved, but for whatever reason, I can't join you on the hill. I can't join you on the bike. Is there something else I can do to help? So we had people assisting with car shuttles. We had people dropping bikes off. We had people making food. We had people collecting gear. So people who wanted to be involved in this community were able to do so, even if they weren't ultra runners or big hill walkers or, you know, things like that. So um, it was just, I'd like to think what we created was just this really welcoming community of like-minded outdoorsy people who were just out for a bit of a laugh and to push themselves at the same time I think there is something very special about the ultra running community Mm. when it comes to being supportive and Mm. having moved across from triathlon myself I find the ultra running community and the races and the events to be an entirely different experience to what I've experienced for 25 years racing triathlon you know it's 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 a warm embrace you know more than a more than a competitive Mm. um endeavor so what um we've talked about you know the recovery the support the logistics what were you eating and how often were you eating (laughs) it 
Tell us all about your food. That's the most interesting thing. <laughs> yes, it probably is. Um, so some might joke that I took on the Monroe Challenge because eating is actually my favorite pastime. So I needed oh, I to find that. activity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> needed to find ultra run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I ultra run because I love eating. I don't eat because <laughs> I love running. Um, so I was very fortunate. So I'm a very strict vegetarian. Um don't have much non-vegan food in my diet but I, I do um have some so um but very you know I, I wouldn't be not vegetarian I suppose even for the purposes of the challenge I was incredibly fortunate that before I started a, a friend of mine um and his partner batch cooked 40 I suppose Tupperwares full of just amazing well-balanced highly nutritious vegan meals um, with fresh ingredients and everything which they froze and then when people would come and meet us they would bring you know four or five of these frozen Tupperwares so thanks to Leonie and Simon I was eating um, good stir fries veggie chili a really nice pasta sauce and a cauliflower and sweet potato curry so that was lush. That's your speciality, isn't it? That yeah. was lush. Um, this so is that... awesome. I wasn't expecting this. I thought you were going to be saying I survived off cliff bars and cliff bars. I did have cliff hydrate, bar. hydro tablets. No, I was incredibly lucky. And I guess that was part, I'm sure that that contributed to our success was that I was eating really well. Mm. And um, everyone who knows me will know that I have never, ever said no to a cookie. Um, so people were bringing me chocolate chip cookies. Um, we had the support um, of someone named Rory Gibson, who held the Monroe Round record in the early 90s with his friend Andrew. Um, when Rory found out that I liked chocolate chip cookies, every time he came up to help us, he brought a new fresh batch of homemade chocolate chip cookies. People were um, encouraged to bring kind of veggie foods so that I had diverse food to eat. Mm. Um, so I had lots of options on the hill. Don't get me wrong. I did eat gels and I was eating lots of veggie kind of fruit gummy kind of things. Um, people who brought fresh fruit, I, you know, would have married on the spot. So <laughs> uh, lots of berries, apples, you know, things that people were bringing, anything kind of veggie that folks were bringing. But fresh How fruit scientific was it? Were you thinking not. about calories out, calories in, or were you just you were just getting as much in as possible? I have a friend who's a dietitian who met with me before I started to kind of work out a rough breakdown of what I should be aiming for in terms of calories and grams of protein in particular, mm -hmm. kind yeah. of our few main um, kind of points of interest. When it came to it, I think Andy, my partner, who was kind of in charge of the, the van and kind of overseeing most of my um, kind of diet and making sure that I was getting stuff, he probably had a better sense than I did about whether or not I had a protein shake on the day, things like that. Um, I did try and have at least one kind of protein drink a day, which would have been kind of 25 plus grams of protein. Um, and then, yeah, kind of just as and when I could, I was also, there was a like meal replacement drink kind of thing that you'll often see maybe if people are in hospital and they are kind of that sort of meal replacement shake. So nothing to do with sports or um, just like a, yeah. Like a Huel type thing. No, no, even more basic than that. So okay. uh, in, in short, yeah, plan, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, so a generic plan. So meal in a tin. Um, exactly, yeah. 
Yeah. So high calorie, high sugar. One of my friends compared it to basically drinking a tin of evaporated milk, which when she put it like that, it's disgusting, but also kind of true. <laughs> um, so yeah, high protein, high carbs, high sugar. Um, and then my dentist, who's also a friend recommended a high fluoride toothpaste because basically I was consuming pure sugar for a month. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's the thing that you don't really think about when you are doing these, even for an ultra marathon, when we're boshing like cliff bars and gels and, you know, we stop at lunchtime for three course meals. It's an ultra trail and that's fine. We can do that. But you, you kind of forget the amount of sugar that you're consuming in one of those days. Yeah. yeah our poor teeth huh? exactly, exactly. <laughs> I did have as a, a drink and this has been for um for a very long time I'm a big fan of tailwind um so in terms of drink mixes and getting calories without having to chew without having to think um when Andy was making up my bottles for each time I was going out um we'd usually have at least one bottle of tailwind every time I went out which was good and you say that Andy had a better handle on it than you did, because you do kind of outsource these, this thinking, don't you? you? To the people, you know what you want to do. When I did my 10 day, 10 day cycle ride, you know, you, the support team that you have, they then become in charge of what you have and haven't eaten because your brain is, you, you, your blood sugars disappeared from your brain halfway through the day and you can't think yeah. appropriately about what you should and shouldn't be eating. So how important was that support crew and did you have like a core crew who were there the whole time and then with satellite people coming in and out and who were those people so andy was the core um who was on site all the time um so he managed to he surprised me actually in taking off the duration of the challenge so that he could be there as the the solid rock throughout the solid bike mechanic throughout Love the coordinator on site for everything it was amazing so his claim to fame is definitely that in all of those kilometers of cycling I didn't have one cycling issue because every time I brought my bike back to him he gave it a full kind of once over cleaned it checked everything out and um so I was incredibly fortunate I in love that. this man good work <laughs> good work legend proper legend yeah. Yeah. um we then had on site was definitely a, a satellite kind of idea, as you say. So people coming and going, some of those same people coming back multiple times, some people only coming for one hill and having to leave again, some coming for entire days or you know four or five days at a time if work enabled them to do that or whatever their life circumstances were. People were asked to remind me to eat something, anything, at least once an hour. Mm. Sometimes that prompt was all I needed was just to say, have you had a gummy bear in the last hour? Have you had, you know, hand me a sandwich. If something's in my hand, I will eat it. In the absence of it actually being on my person, um, I might just ignore it and just carry on as I was. You've actually threatened to leave me halfway through an ultramarathon because I keep reminding you you've got to eat things, haven't you? <laughs> I can't have another cliff bar. Ah, there does come a point now where you just think I can't can't eat any more of this stuff and also you just feel so full up and also your tummy your tummy is a little bit not crampy but it's just like I can't eat any more food which is I eat a lot of um have you ever tried baby food I eat a lot of baby food yeah and jelly raw jelly as well is quite good if you want really instant sugar on a low Um, on a low volume but don't don't make the mistake where it, it has for me it has to be the the baby foods that are basically just fruit smoothie in a pouch so none of this like pasta bolognese and a baby I don't, that sounds horrible <laughs> um and also i was speaking of not being vegan during the challenge i was um 
drinking or eating the like high protein um yogurts that come in like the squeezy pouches oh yeah. right yeah yeah Had those as well and mm. found them really good um and coming back to your question james about who was core so andy was the core never um yeah never wavering on site in the background to all of that was a whole separate army of logistics crew who were absolutely led by jenny who i made reference to before so jenny was definitely the um the beating heart of uh the spreadsheet beautiful spreadsheet we had um amending things as and when you know schedules changed weather changed people had to cancel we had all those horrible um mega thunderstorms when Mm -hmm. i was out as well which resulted in landslides which were closing roads canceled trains so as things needed to be shifted around um Jenny was absolutely legendary all times of day and night of shifting things. And then around her, I was really, really fortunate. There were sort of four or five other incredibly good friends who were just part of a a massive kind of spreadsheet moving around. Um, I shudder to think how many WhatsApp groups were on the go during all of it. There genuinely were. I, I had my phone switched off for the duration of the challenge. And when I turned it on, um, when I finished, I had something like 5,600 WhatsApp messages. And I wasn't included in most of the WhatsApp chats because a lot of them, they they created chats per day. Um, So to organize the logistics, car shares, car shuttles, all of that, um, they were doing all of that behind the scenes. And basically they kind of joked that I was they started to call me Jamie Gotchi. I don't know if you remember the Tamagotchis that was like, you had to keep alive. So it was basically like everyone's responsibility was just to point me in the right direction, make sure I had fuel on my person, whatever. And um, all I needed to do actually became the easy bit, which was just keep moving. And then all these moving parts around me, they just sorted, which was amazing. I bet it was a tremendous experience. Just not only the the views and actually doing it, but being part of that that many that that big team that came mm, together to support you. Exploring. I bet it was I bet it was remarkable. I hope that people had a positive experience. Most of the feedback that people have shared with me is that they they did love it, and um, I suppose it's um, uh, the evidence of that is that the. The one, so some of the WhatsApp groups were then distilled into one big WhatsApp group. And that WhatsApp group is still going strong and everyone's still keeping in touch with each other and they're still updating oh. each other on their different activities. And I think there's- Have you nine- had your first JV, Jamie Aaron's adventure marriage yet? Where two people <laughs> met and- <laughs> No, but I have been trying to do some matchmaking. So I'm not <laughs> gonna say, I'm not gonna say that that's a, a definite not gonna happen just yet. Um, let's come back in about a year's time and I'll see if we've been successful. Oh, we'll see. That's so <laughs> nice. Is there anything you'd do differently looking back or anything that you think, well, actually we could have sharpened up on this or maps gone about something in a different way? There's definitely some route changes that I would make um, 100%. There were a few things because in the lead up to it, I didn't have time or indeed inclination to recce everything Mm. um there's something quite nice about the novelty of it and I didn't want all of it to have just been done you know the year before but also because of time and and working and things it wasn't feasible to recce everything so there were definitely some some route choices as I was saying that that looked good on a map and actually when we came to it they were not so good so definitely some things I would do differently in that respect um 
I would probably now in hindsight approach my sleep differently in those really hot first few weeks. Um, I probably got myself really anxious and worked up, as you were saying, James, about the amount of time I was losing on some of the descents. I think I would tell tell my younger self, my two months younger self, that actually stop losing so much energy, being so anxious about that and just enjoy these moments. Um, and yeah, I would have approached the sleep a bit differently with the, the heat that we encountered. Um, but yeah, no, in general, I think I'm, I'm pretty chuffed that the two years that we spent, you know, we controlled as many variables as we could in advance and we put in place as much as we could to be able to deal with whatever surprised us along the way. But um, that was absolutely down to Jenny and Andy and, and multiple others who were able to crisis manage and look calm on the surface. So I was never given an impression that anything was anything other than perfectly fine, which is great. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think having completed the challenge and also um, being the the the, the, cent- the central player of that community, I think I think that's that's a pretty good um, it's a pretty good result, really, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> so what about the um, what about the lasting impacts that this challenge has had on you? Basically, because you said you said earlier that you hadn't had time to really reflect mm-hmm. or, or journal um, about your your experiences. So what are some of the lasting impacts and are you going to write a book about them? <laughs> I think what I want to do before a book, which I don't have any um, intentions of doing, but you know, <laughs> uh, I think exactly as you just said there, I think my first priority is just to take some notes about what actually happened. I think I slept so little and everything, you know, it was such an intensely packed month of activity with so many people and so many experiences I'm quite nervous of the idea that in just a few months time, I'll look back and think, well, there was this thing we did. And I remember it being quite cool, but actually all I have to show for it now is some really funny WhatsApp chats, but actually. um, (laughs) So I think in terms of lasting impact, it's probably too early days to be able to say what the long-term kind of lasting impact will be. But for the time being, it still is a bit surreal. Um, And I think the the last or the kind of um, thing that I'm most conscious of now, I suppose it's it's two things. One is the incredible amount we've managed to raise for World Bicycle Relief. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. It is amazing. And mm-hmm. I'm just over the moon with that. And the second lasting thing for me is this perpetual WhatsApp group that I think is just <laughs> the, it really just exemplifies this group of not random people, this group of strangers who came together around one goal that I happened to be, I suppose, at the center of, but we've got this community now of of friends and um, yeah, just the ripple effect, I guess, that you can see. And that to me is an amazing legacy that I'm incredibly proud of. So I I hope that is the long-term lasting remain, the thing that remains the longest. So now you've got this team what's next when are you getting yeah. the gang when are you getting the band back together <laughs> we're getting together for uh hopefully an epic reunion party later in the year in the cairngorms um so there may or may not be any monroes involved um but uh, there will certainly be um some celebrating and uh getting to see each other in person and for me 
I think there might be a few people there who I'll be meeting genuinely for the first time who were involved behind the scenes, who helped with car shuttles, who who I never had the privilege to meet, who will be joining. So um, and people who have shared conversations who haven't met face to face. So um, a bit like COVID times, all of us coming together for one raucous uh, weekend in the Cairngorms in October will be next. Um, there's definitely something, though, for my immediate future, which isn't about any challenges that I'm personally intending to undertake, but actually to give a bit back and to um, reinvigorate my support karma um, and support people in whatever their silly ideas and challenges are. So now's the time to ask for help with something. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty much required to say yes. So <laughs> well, we're planning a multi-day run, aren't we? Down from, yeah. from, from our place in Devon, down to Lyon in France. Uh, totally there. 700 miles so if you want to come along for the ride and be the support yeah. crew feel free i mean it's it's, it's not going to be until like it's going to be year after 2025 yeah yeah because yeah, we were quite inspired when we were doing our research on, on your outrageous adventure we were like we've got to do something like i love ultra marathons i love i love running long long distance but it's just either it's a bit of a loop or it's a there and back again it's and you're done in a few hours and then you go home and it's like back to life as normal. And I was like, we've got to do something epic. Like there needs to be an adventure. And I think running from the UK to France would be really cool. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, I'm also really attracted. I don't know if you've gotten into um, bike packing. I'm very interested in the idea now of kind of doing some adventures, not necessarily as a, a competition, but, um, you know, I'd like to see more of the world and um, to be able to do that and incorporate cycling and do some more bike packing, I think would be my next. does sound cool. We've got a friend who does that. Did you have multiple bikes when you were on your adventure and for various terrains and various bits of the journey? Yeah. So I had a full sus mountain bike, um, which I decided on, not that I was necessarily doing terrain that necessitated the full sus, but actually for comfort just for the amount of time that I was out, decided to, to and they're cool. They're very cool as well. You know. <laughs> there is that. There is that. Um, there's also more bits to go wrong. In yeah, that's true. Luckily, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where an Andy comes into his own. Um, and I had a uh, gravel bike that was, I, yeah, that doubled as my road bike or really, it, yeah, it is a gravel bike, but it was predominantly used as a, a road bike. Um, and actually, in coming back to your question of what I would do differently, I probably in hindsight would never have used it as a gravel bike. I think my um, reflection was that I was either on terrain that was road and I was road biking or my mountain bike would have been more comfortable. Um, and we had a separate set of wheels. So rather than changing tires, I had an entire, I had a gravel set of wheels and a gravel and a road set of wheels with the um, accompanying tires, obviously. So swapping the wheels back and forth was straightforward. That was absolutely fine, but probably turned out to be unnecessary. Fair enough. And what was that final day like and that feeling when you completed, when you when you got across that line? What was that feeling like? Was it a huge high or was there a sense of like, what happens now? It's funny because actually I think, I think for me, the high of finishing if that's the right word even came at the point where I realized unless something went catastrophically wrong 
I was going to get the record. Mm. That was a couple days. Well, it was probably about two days, two, three days before I finished. Um, I had had an incredibly difficult time in the Fisher Fields. It was when my foot was at its absolute worst. Um, at one point I had taken my shoe off and was trying to walk in my socks because my foot was in so much pain. Oh, Luckily, that's where friends come into their own to tell you, I'm really sorry, Jamie, you can't walk through the Fisher Fields. Shoes on, love. Socks, yeah. <laughs> um, I love you, but, um, so I, I'd had a really, really challenging time. It was mentally and physically incredibly draining. Um, and I suppose it was after kind of breaking the back of that day and um, getting back on the bike and sort of realized that A, the end was in sight. And also if I just kept moving, even at the slow pace, and it was painfully slow that I had been in the Fisher Fields, even if that was all I could sustain, that was gonna be enough to get me to the finish. Um, and I did get quite teary and emotional at that point. So when it actually came to the last day and the, the final summit, I was elated and I was predominantly elated. I was surprised by um, loads of people who had come out to join me, which was awesome. And um, some friends had even gotten quite a head start on me to hike up um, my final summit with their children, um, including my friends whose five-year-old did his first Monroe that day. He hiked all the way up Ben Cleveland. Um, so it was so many emotions, but actually it wasn't just that it was my last Monroe of the challenge it was seeing all of these people who had come out to be there to to experience this with me to to share the joy um so that was absolutely um uh, probably overwhelming it was incredibly yeah, I bet yeah. it was. I bet but that it was. wasn't about me finishing though that was about this sort of the whole the whole scenario was um yeah. just incredible and there were brownies so you right. know, oh my god yeah coming yeah it's a combination of everything plus brownies yeah. <laughs> Having um, having coached and worked with a lot of athletes over the years, when someone is going after a target like that and they get to the point where they know they're going to do it, even though they haven't reached the end, there is a risk psychologically of that, of them shutting down. Mm -hmm. Was there ever that risk? Because, you know, it's like when people, I know people that have rode across the Atlantic and they get within sight of knowing, oh, I'm going to do this. And then it all just goes like, and they have to really mm -hmm. work on themselves. Did you reach that point or not? I definitely got faffier um, once I had, once I knew I was going to finish. I was, I mean, my my transitions were pretty faffy anyway. And while I wasn't sleeping very much during the challenge, I definitely had a lot of non movement time during my transitions from one activity to the next, and those got even more extended the closer to the finish I got. And I don't think that's because I was tired. I think it's actually more your point, James, which is that I was kind of like okay, I've got this. I can take the foot off, take my foot off the, the gas a bit. Um, so it got a bit faffier. And then the last hill, I definitely, I don't think I was milking it. I think I just was like, I don't know. I certainly, no one who would have seen me out of context would have thought that I was going for a finish of anything or a record of anything. Um, just kind of dawdling along. And um, yeah. so, yeah, I, I think I did experience that to an extent, but I think in the grand scheme of things, um, it probably cost me a couple of hours, not a couple of days. Yeah, you were just soaking it up though. It was the last, it was the last one. You've got to soak it up a little bit. So give us the stats then. How how much did you take the record by and what is now the record? Uh the record is now 31 days, 10 hours and 27 minutes. She says questioning that. I think that's right. <laughs> um 
which was around 12 and a half hours off uh, the previous record, which I think is worth mentioning. The previous record shaved something like seven days off oh my goodness. record before it. So there had been quite a substantial chunk of time that Donnie had taken off the previous mm. record. Um, so proportionately, you know, I was cutting it fine. Um, and the, the previous female record had been... 70 some days so um i suppose i more than halved the previous female record um but we took about a half day off the overall record when, when you when you put it like that you were going at quite quite a speed then <laughs> that's, that's really impressive yeah i mean i guess again i when i was moving i was not moving at speed i think my um my strength is in my perpetual motion so mm -hmm. time on feet was certainly a lot longer than the previous record but that's I'm the sure. thing isn't it when you're when you're doing those kind of super long distance endurance things it it generally isn't about speed it's just your body not breaking and you not stopping until you cross that finish line yeah. that's it and so much of that, I think you're right, that not breaking thing. And there is strategy in that. And I know I kind of jest about the, the sleeping and recovery, but, um, you know, I, I think it is about being quite in tune with your body as well and being able to recognize when you're pushing, when you're pushing so hard that your recovery time is going to need to be longer. And it's, it's striking that balance, isn't it, about going at a pace that is sustainable for you mm -hmm. for whatever length of time, you know, you anticipate you're going to need to be on the move for without sustaining an injury. And that... I mean, you say you didn't break. You got an internal infected <laughs> blister, mate. You're just really good at ignoring pain, I think. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Um, so I have a, a mantra that I've shared um, with others at events and things, which is, and I've used this, I've employed this quite a lot in races, um, which is, would I quit if I was winning? And if the answer to that question is no, keep going. Um, and twice in my life, the answer to that question was actually, yes, even if I was winning, I would quit because of the, the circumstances. Um, but there was never a point in the Monroe rounds where I thought if I was quote winning proverbially, would I quit? Um, and the answer to that question was never yes. So mm. I kept going. Nice. Absolutely love it. Mm. What an achievement. It's Incredible. so impressive. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what is next on your agenda, whether that's supporting others to achieve their ambitions or their dreams or whatever you decide to do next. It's going to be really exciting to find out. Thank you. But we have one of the most important questions of the podcast now, yes. which is every guest that comes on, we ask them to add a song to our Get Out In It playlist on Spotify, something they like to listen to when they're training, racing, looking for motivation, or generally just chilling out. So, Distances across lakes. Yeah. What is your what is your song that we're going to add to the Get Out In It playlist? So I'm not sure how, my, how motivational others will find it, but my song of choice is Tom Petty's Wildflowers. Good shout. Everyone so, loves a bit of Tom Petty. They better. They better. Uh, so it is my funeral song. It's my motivational song. It is my um, get out there and remind yourself that you belong among the wildflowers. And that for me is the, the go-to. Love nice. it. That's Love perfect. it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, it's been a real pleasure oh, for both amazing. of us, I think. Thank you so much. What an extraordinary adventure. What an inspiration. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you. You guys are great.
Thank you. <laughs> the debrief. I, the emphasis was correct, I feel. <laughs> okay. That was awesome. What did you think of Jamie? Well, I know that we have had some pretty, pretty extraordinary people on the podcast. We've been super, super lucky. But talking to Jamie, wow, that's, I mean, it's pretty fucking exceptional what she achieved in one month. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, I, I felt like I could keep talking to her for a lot longer than we did because it was it was a really interesting journey through what she'd achieved. But I felt there were so many individual rabbit holes and elements of that story that I wanted to go into much more detail about. You know, I wanted to know about the logistics and how they planned it and how they satellited people in and out. I wanted to know how the support team mm -hmm. completely functioned. I mean, that's a podcast in itself, yeah. understanding what it's like to support somebody through a journey like that. I wanted to know about the physicality of it. You know, the oh, an internal infected blister. Oh, mate. Whatever. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, it sounds pretty I'd be, grim. I'd be so upset. Yeah, it does sound pretty grim, I, doesn't I would, it? Like? I, I'd have given up. I'd be like, get my foot off me. Get that thing out of me. <laughs> So great. Yeah, it's got it's got um, sort of alien connotations, isn't it? Um, I just think that her attitude to the challenge, both during the planning phase and then in the execution phase, was so dialed in to just her job was one element of it. Mm. Her job was to keep moving. And she completely trusted and outsourced a lot of the other jobs that were key parts of her challenge actually being successful to other people and the realization that it's not even to the point where you could almost say it's really not solely her challenge because the other bits of the challenge other than the keeping forward in the perpetual motion and with the sleeping as, as little as she was the other bits of the challenge would have almost been comparably hard do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like if she had to do that all by herself, like fully supported, carrying her own stuff, carrying all her food, like there's no way you could do it. You wouldn't be able to do it if you were just on your own, carrying no. all that stuff. It would be impossible. You you wouldn't be able to do that without the without the team of people around her. Indeed. And the, what the jobs that those that team of people had to do were an undertaking in themselves. Mm. There was nothing simple about sorting out the meals for somebody who's who's doing that level of exercise and burning that many calories in those conditions no, I mean, changeable interesting conditions they they were basically keeping a human alive yeah indeed indeed and i i, I thought um what she said as well about how i mean it's only been a couple of months since she finished and having not given herself the time or space yet to really reflect on it she's just sort of sitting on it and riding the mm. wave of that post challenge um, feeling yeah and then she's going to come to a point soon where she sits down and journals it and records it because she's concerned that that memory will fade into something abstract mm. I I Jamie please write a book <laughs> because I would love to le live probably needs a ghostwriter right <laughs> <laughs> I could ghostwrite <laughs> Jamie hit me up I'll ghostwrite your book for you I think that that would be an extraordinary experience to live through. And I mean, I know I'm a little bit biased because I love reading and I write. But for me, if I'm if I'm reading a book 
any book, even if it's a biog or, or fiction, I am fully immersed and I'm living that experience with the character that I'm reading about. And I think, oh my God, a book about those 31 days would be extraordinary. Yes. And every chapter is is got to be a day in itself. Absolutely. And there has to be an end of chapter summary from Andy. No, it would be dual po- POV. Dual POV. You'd have dual POV. So the chapter, the first half of the chapter would always be Jamie's POV. And then the second half of the chapter would be Andy's POV whilst he was keeping his partner alive. Wait, Andy needs to Andy needs to write a manual, a supporter's manual called Be Like Andy. Be like Andy. He really does. Yes. He really does yeah. on how how to how to go about planning and executing um, a supporting mission like that, because that is such an undertaking. Mm. And I'm I'm here for it. So, um, yeah, we're going to try and get Andy on the podcast over the next few weeks to get his perspective and what it was like administering a an adventure like that. Mm. And because because it's you've got to not underestimate the benefits, but also the how sometimes it could be a negative the being in a relationship with someone that you're trying yeah. to support like that. Because the benefits being you know that person better than anyone else on the planet. They know you better than anyone else on the planet. You can almost talk to each other without talking. The implicit trust and... Exactly. But there is is a negative that comes with that where sometimes... The paralyzing fear if you think that your partner is going to fall off a mountain and die. Exactly. But also that person can sometimes be the only person that you will vent at in a certain way that hasn't where there's no filter perhaps, you know, and and there's always that risk. So I'm interested to know, take his perspective on that. So yeah, hashtag write that book. <laughs> Should we go and have a coffee? I definitely need a coffee after that adventure. The Weekly Roast. Is that it? your turn to get coffee and again once again i've knocked it out the park you uh you had a shower earlier so i popped up to scotland in the uh in the apex electric helicopter and i, and I went to the true north well no i didn't go to the true north i went north and i got i got a coffee called true north okay. from the Glen leon coffee roasters and it's produced by the Ventura family at 1,630 meters above sea level. Aye. Um, with a process of white honey, apparently. But True North is a positive impact coffee, raising one pound for each retail bag for trees for life's work to be rewilded in the Scottish Highlands. Oh my God, I love that so much. Yeah, this coffee roaster that got involved with Trees for Life in 2018 when they started their annual tree planting mission to offset their carbon footprint. Since the charity was founded in 1993, Trees for Life has planted an incredible 1.7 million trees with 10,000 volunteers rewilding some 4,000 hectares of land in the Scottish Highlands. About 6,000 years ago, an estimated 1.5 million hectares of Scotland were covered in rich native pine woods. Now only about 1% of this original forest is left, broken down into small and isolated fragments. Much of the wildlife dependent on the forest has been lost. So this is a good mission. Not only did I pop up to Scotland in a sustainable manner (laughs) to get 
a coffee that is associated with our guest this week. Yeah. But I also, the money I spent on that coffee has planted all the it trees planted back. Planted a tree. Yes. So what are you going to do next week? Go back to Moxa. I... <laughs> um, obviously next week I'm going to somehow single-handedly save the planet. It's the only way I can come back from all of your like super eco coffees that you come up with. But, you know, I, I went to a vegan cafe last week. But I've knocked, and, I've knocked and, you up a True North... And I had a cake. Oat milk latte. What's it like? It's pretty delicious, actually. Yeah. There's nothing quite so tasty as planting a tree. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I've got an espresso, so I'm really getting the, the flavour through from this uh, <laughs> this True North coffee. And it is um, remarkable. It's I really, really say. nice. Oh, I love everything about that. That's so cool. Very, very cool. Because also... Um, Trees are my favourite plants on the whole planet. Fucking love a tree. Goodo. Yeah. <laughs> Should we be honest? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Go on then, your turn, because I went first last week. So uh, what have you got to be honest about this week? Is it the fact that having a rest day blew your mind? Oh, it fucked with my mind hole so bad. Like, I wasn't supposed to get here quite so late. Um, but there was obviously a fuck up with the trains. And I, I, sh I wasn't even supposed to have four trains. I was only supposed to have three. There was huge monumental fuck ups. And then I got here really, really late. Didn't get here till 10 p.m. Didn't run. It was, yeah, it was, it was a battle trying to decide whether or not I was going to um, skip that day. Um, but I did, and I'm glad I did. Um, and the 15Ks I ran the following day were actually, the first 5K were an absolute bastard. But the, the, the next 10K were divine. So I'm quite glad that I did that. Although, if, if we're going to be honest, James Bale, I've had this really weird thing in my back. Yeah, you've got a bit of a knot in your back, haven't you? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know where to... the fuck it's come from. I don't I don't know if it's my running challenge or my writing challenge. <laughs> I think maybe it's more my writing challenge. But it's just underneath my shoulder blade. It's, I've never had a backache just underneath my shoulder blade. What the fuck is that about? Yeah, I think you've got a bit of a postural issue when you sit. So we'll uh, we'll have to take a view on that and see how it is tomorrow. It's a pain in the back. But it's I got a pain a... under the scapula. i got to say, you, you're... Um... Your ability on this running challenge is blowing me away. Is it? You, yeah, you're just you're just keeping going. You're like the little engine that could. <laughs> it's remarkable. Your uh, robustness. What did it talk to Jamie about? I mean, we touched on it a tiny little bit actually, because I do like ah uh, these challenges. I know we set them ourselves, and they're a bit arbitrary and all that kind of stuff. But what what is it about humans? Why do we set ourselves these challenges, and why do we then go through them? It's Ah, it's a question that I often think about. It's not. It's a question I've thought about often in these last two weeks <laughs> because I'm doing this challenge. But yeah, why do we do it? I mean, I think it's to keep things interesting. Mm. And, you know, there's nothing more motivating than feeling like you're doing something you've not done before. Mm. But I think, you know, if you, you... Little senses of satisfaction, little wins... They go a long way to keeping you keep to keeping you moving, and uh, yeah. Do you think? 
Do you think it's a, a very normal, general human trait then? I think so. Yeah, I really do. I think certainly when you get into endurance and you want to find out what you're capable of, you know, the, the challenges will just keep building and it's eventually you'll become just a challenge machine. But do you think it's only um, people who do endurance activities that have that kind of trait? Or do you think it's a general human species trait? I think it's a general human species trait. Okay. Everybody has their thing, don't they? And they like to find out what they can do with that thing. And you're just finding out what you can do with your thing. All right. Turns out I can do daily things with my thing. So it's my turn to be honest now. You have to be honest now, yeah. And uh, I haven't got much to say. Everything's going pretty well. I'm... Fuck. Yeah, it's, 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 all, it's all working quite nicely. Everything's like the upswing in performance in the last week has been remarkable. I can now put on a pair of trousers standing on one leg without much of a problem. Bravo. I can put on a pair of socks standing on one leg without much of a problem. The pain is still there, but it's nowhere near as debilitating. I can run further than I used to be able to run. Uh, my keenness for running is coming back. Rather than just missing it, I'm now actually thinking I'd really like to go and run a bit further, mm. as opposed to like feeling like I couldn't run very far, but missing it, yeah. if you know what I mean. I'm, yeah. We went out for a run for the first time in three months, I was ahead of you again, yeah. you know, going, oh, you know, I'm, this is good, this is good, rather than clinging onto the back for dear life. And so I feel like I'm moving in the right direction and everything's getting better and I'm going to do this 80k in October and everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I mean, I am nips deep in a challenge at the moment, so I wasn't like, you know, balls out sprinting up that hill yesterday. So, you know, I that that's why you're ahead of me. <laughs> but weren't you <laughs> shouting, James, please slow down, I can't, I can't. I can't hold that pace. Absolutely was not showing right. that whatsoever. <laughs> that was just in your mind. Okie dokie. Yes. Uh, shall we go and put some music on and forget about it? We should definitely put some music on, yes. Turn it up. That'll probably do, will it? Your turn then. You've got to go first this week. Okay, I'm going to do a surprise pop song. I know we had one last week from you, but... This surprise pop song uh, fits perfectly with the challenge that we just heard Jamie talk all about. It's actually um, an Australian artist called Delta Goodrum, um, who sang this song called Sitting on Top of the World, which I think is perfect for uh, Jamie's challenge because she was sitting on top of the world, what, 282 times back in May, June? Good choice of yeah, song. I think so. Good choice of song. It's quite old. 2013 that was released. That what song. was the album called? I don't know what the album was called because I only ever downloaded the single. So the single was released in 2013. Okay, Sitting okay. on top of the world. Okay, take well, that'll be added to the playlist. Everyone should give it a play. I am gonna add a song called Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine from the 2009 album Lungs. This is a song I'd forgotten existed until we watched the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 the other night. Last night. Last night. And it was uh, it was the last song they played for the for the film, I think. Yeah, it was the end credit song, yeah. It was, and it just reminded me it's a nice song to run to. It's probably not one of my favorites, but it is a good song to run to mm. because it makes you it picks you up a little bit and sends you on your way. Yeah. Oh, that's a good mix of, of tunage today. I think we nailed it, didn't With we? Jamie's as well, yeah. Yeah. You are welcome, listeners. That's about it from us, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. We've done a lot of hiking, we've done a lot of chatting, we've done a lot of coffee drinking, and we've done a lot of musicking. 
And if you want to find out more, head to www.getoutinit.events. There's loads of info on there and you can sign up for the newsletter. Download the Personal Development Friend and book a free consultation with us to discuss your health and fitness and the roadmap that we intend to take to get you there. If you like the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes. It goes a long way and is very much appreciated and is a moment out of your day. You get to say nice things and put five stars next to our name. And then you also make us feel really, really good and happy and smiley. and Very, very smiley and even more smiley. Indeed that. So yeah, thanks for coming. Cheerio and have a good one. Bye, bye, bye. Cheerio. Thanks for hitting the trails with us this week. We'll meet you back here next Monday for more news, more views, more nature. All the links for our socials are in the show notes. Find and follow us on Facebook, Insta, YouTube and Twitter. You can subscribe to our newsletter from our website for all the latest updates and camp plans. You get a fun free gift when you sign up. Leave a review on your podcast app. It's really easy and really helps us out. And if you've got any friends who could do with getting out in it, then bring them along to next week's outdoor adventure. We'd love to have you all with us. Catch you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.